Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Refresh our lives, O Lord, through the hearing of your word. Quiet our hearts and open our minds to what your spirit will say to us today. Amen. Scripture reading today is from the sixth chapter of Matthew, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work. They don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We talk a lot around here about next steps. How do you take the next step in your faith journey with Christ? But now and then it is good to take a breath and to talk about what do first steps look like. How do you embark on that spiritual journey? Because whether you are far down the path or just trying to find the trailhead, the hustle and bustle of life can make you lose your way a little bit. So that's what this series is, the next four weeks. We're, we've taken Henry Nouwen's book, Making All Things New, which is his primer on the spiritual life. And we said, what questions does this ask and what does it answer? If you're our friend on Facebook this week, you might have seen a video that poses one of those core central questions. It was a short video, it was about 90 seconds. It was about a woman, Allison, and her husband, Sean. And they were talking about what they wanted to be when they grew up. And Allison looks around and she said, do you know what I really wanted? 
I wanted this. I wanted to meet someone I loved. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids, and I wanted to raise them in a good neighborhood, in a good church. I'm living my dream. And then she asked this question. Why am I not happy? <clears throat> have any of you ever been in that place? You're living the dream, but there's still something missing. The clip was from a movie called Mom's Night Out. Her, part of her husband's answer is that, you know, maybe she should start a blog. You know, the mommy blogs are taking over the internet, and, and maybe she'll get some answers by communicating with other people who are in this same situation. And so she starts writing about her life and her feelings. And there's one particular entry that I think might be helpful for us today. So maybe for you, what causes the moment isn't the kids screaming in the back of the van. Maybe it's the uh, never-ending inbox at work. Maybe it's trying to navigate how you're going to get to soccer practice, band practice, ballet practice all simultaneously. Maybe it's just kind of figuring out how we're going to get all of the family in for Thanksgiving and or feed them all at Thanksgiving and or put them all in a chair, bedroom, sleeping mattress. How old are you before you're too old for an air mattress? Questions. No matter what phase of life we're in, I can guarantee there are probably two things. Busyness and worry. Our lives are filled up with busyness and worry. Now, and has this great image, he says, our lives become so full, they are like an overpacked suitcase. Can you see it? The old suitcase when you've crammed in so many things that you have to like duct tape it closed and hope that, TA, that TSA is okay with it going through the metal detector. <laughs> And Laura knows if they spot check it, that's, it's all over, right? They'll never get it closed again. Think, think for a moment. If your life had to fit in a suitcase, what would go in it? Well, there's some things that are probably pretty common, right? All of us have to eat at some point. All of us have to get dressed up, dressed, functioning in the morning. We probably have people in our lives that we care about, friends, family, parents, little ones. And then there's the things that we, we pack in because we feel like we need them, right? We definitely need work to pay for aforementioned clothes, transportation, housing. And there's the things we do for fun. If you craft or play games or sports, or maybe you don't play sports, but you're the avid sport watcher. Just ask yourself, would all of my Aggie jerseys fit in the suitcase? I know Mike Heather's uh, Texans trailer probably doesn't fit very well in the suitcase. We pack a lot of things in to every hour of the day. If you started lining out in a good spreadsheet how many things you got done before you got to church this morning, would it make you feel better? 
when it make you feel stressed? We fill up as many moments as we can. And you know what the funny thing is? Some of us will actually overfill the moments so that there's no empty space, so we don't have to sit and think. They actually did a, a scientific study. They had people sit in a room, and they gave them a choice between listening to a long, boring reading or getting a small electroshock. <laughs> okay, most people picked the reading. It was fine, it was great. And then they took another group and they put them in the room and they said, we can leave you alone or you can have the small electroshock. Now, a lot of people started out saying, I'd like to be left alone. They left them alone for 15 minutes. Over half the group, within five minutes, pushed the button to self-administer the electric shock. Sometimes we pack our lives really full because we don't want to deal with what's in the silence. Because I bet for some of us, our silence is a little bit like Allison's, right? In the silence outside, your brain keeps running. And when it's not busy doing the things, when it's not occupied, you become preoccupied. The what-ifs creep in. Are there what-ifs for you? Right? She, she pulled out the whole scene, right? That my children are going to drink Clorox. I'm going to have to call poison control. They're going to come in the black and white movie and take them away. I have personally what if every situation that could possibly get me fired from this place. I promise you. <laughs> and the youth really make me think of new ones all the time. <laughs> we do this, right? Given a few moments to ourselves. Given a little space not occupied, we start stuffing more stuff in the backpack in the form of what if and how about and worry. And that overstuffed suitcase gets a little bit heavier and a little bit heavier and a little bit harder to carry. And so we say, Oh, don't worry. In the midst of that one if, has anybody ever just told you, oh, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. What do you want to do to that person? <laughs> right, because the what ifs start creating this. We know it's not good for us. We know we're too busy. We know we're too stressed. And we hear again and again, hey, we ought to be less busy. But the truth is that busy starts to create this cycle. Anybody feel this, right? I'm too stressed. I need to relax and take on less work. And as soon as I take on less work, maybe I actually take three of those 14 vacation days. By day two, I'm going, I am wasting my life. I'm wasting my life. I have to do more things. We live this cycle full to the point of brimming over. Because the truth is, that stress, that I'm wasting my life, that is a deep-seated sense of unfulfillment. It is a 
phenomenon of modern culture, that our lives can be both full and unfulfilling at the same time. That for all our occupation, our preoccupation, there can remain this empty space inside. It often takes kind of three forms. We become bored, resentful, and depressed because at the core, underneath all our busyness, all our worry, there's just this fear that we aren't enough. That somehow we're not smart enough or strong enough or brave enough. That if we don't do enough, produce enough, if our star isn't bright enough, that somehow we are unworthy or unlovable. That deep unfulfillment isn't a lack of things to do. It is the sense that what we do might not matter and that we might be found wanting. And so we become bored, resentful, even depressed. Looking around for things uh, this week, I came across an old family circus cartoon. Family circus fans? So there's actually a whole class of these. They're called Billy's Path. Billy finds many paths. This one is the first day of summer vacation. Billy is so excited. He gets up on the first day of summer vacation and he slides down the banister and he runs outside and he plays with the dog and he helps dad fix the car and he runs through the meadow and he listens to music with his friend and he rides the skateboard and he plays in the paddling pool and he tracks mud into the house and he watches cartoons on TV and by noon he looks at mom and says, there's nothing to do, I'm bored. There's plenty. To do. But maybe none of it feels worth doing. Those moments in life when you're bored, do you ever find yourself asking, is what I do worth it? Will it matter? Will it be remembered? More and more in this country, that starts playing out in the form of depression. Now, I, I want to pause and note that depression is a complex set of issues, and for some people it's chemical, and for some people it's not. But this spiritual plays into it. We know that in an average year, of the people over the age of 12, in any two-week period, 7.6 of us, nearly 10%, will experience some form of depression, either chronic or short-term. Of hospital visits, emergency room visits, urgent care, and doctor's visits, in the last year data was available, eight million of those. The diagnosis was depression. Now that doesn't, all, that doesn't account all the people for whom depression is a coordinate condition. So it goes along with what they have. This is just people who walk in the door 
suffering from pain, sleeplessness, restlessness, anxiety, and the diagnosis is depression. Unless you think that that's just the way things are, we actually are one of the world leaders in the phenomenon. It's hard to track the number of depressions, but it's much easier to track the number of suicides worldwide. In the U.S., in the last year data was available, there were 41,149 suicides. Per 100,000 people, that's 13. And gentlemen, the ladies are helping you out because it's five women per 100,000 and 20 men per 100,000. There are a lot of people. Think about the number of people just in Brazoria County for whom the filledness and the unfulfilledness isn't just a kind of senseless restlessness, a desire for something more. It's dangerous. It's painful. It isn't just killing us spiritually. For some people, it is literally lethal. And we are not meant to live like this. That 13, that outstrips the UK, Germany, Greece, Switzerland. I, I could go on and on. Developed nations, underdeveloped nations. We beat far more people than beat us. We have a problem. We have a lot of people searching for something else, some kind of answer. <coughs> And often we say, don't worry. It's easy, in fact, to hear the scripture we read today as exactly that. Just don't worry. Therefore, do not worry about your life. But that's not really what Jesus is saying. When we take it that way, when we say, oh, just don't worry. Every little thing is going to be all right. We actually kind of make it one more check mark on the to-do list, right? I will get the wash done, I will do the laundry, I will pay the bills, and I will make sure not to worry about any of it. We don't need one more thing on the to-do list. That's not, that's not what Jesus is trying to talk about. This section where he's talking about worry, it comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And for Matthew, it is really the thesis statement for Jesus' ministry. He is trying to lay out for the crowd what he's here to say and do and teach. And it's a lot richer than just don't worry about anything. When Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, what he's really trying to address is that deep-seated fear. He's not just looking at the symptoms on the surface. He's reaching down and he's saying, don't you know that you are loved? Don't you know that, that the clothes you wear and the food on your table, they have nothing to do with your self-worth? Don't you know that because of me, you are worthy, you are treasured, 
You are beloved. So all the rest of that stuff, yeah, it's important, but more important is your relationship with God. And when you attend to that, all these things shall be given unto you. What Christ wants to say is there are things worth worrying about, but they should be the things that give you life and not the things that suck it out of you. He even pulls to Song of Solomon for this image of the lily of the field. And aren't you worth more than that? He says, therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life because I have that covered. This is the same Jesus who will say, my yoke is easy and my burden light. There are great blessing in those words. There's a funny thing with God. Blessings and commands always go together. They are two sides of the same coin. Every blessing has requirements. Every command of God, whether we like it or not, (laughs) has a blessing. The end of this little run, he says the command. Worry, therefore, about the kingdom of God. Next week, Peter's going to unpack that a little bit. No pun intended, I'm sorry. (laughs) He's going to talk about what it takes to weed the things out of the suitcase and how to find that focus. So this morning, I just want to focus on the good news of it. When Christ says, don't worry about your life, what he says is the words we say every time we do communion. Every time we do communion, we confess where we have been unworthy, right? And then I say to you, Christ died for you while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. Hear that good news today. Hopefully hearing it out of context makes it new, makes it fresh. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. Christ died for you, did the work while we were yet sinners. So no amount of unworthiness, no amount of fear, no matter how big the little gaping place in your soul is, God loves you, and you are enough. And there is work to be done, unpacking the suitcase and finding the right place, but let's begin in this, that you are loved. And all the busyness, all the busyness is an and. You are loved and. This week, I hope that every time the what-ifs creep in, every time the schedule feels 
overfill. And if you're like me, that's going to happen about 12.06. You will remember, God loves me. And take that as the breath you need for the next thing. Help also, as we begin to look towards the next steps on this spiritual journey, that, that you will take a challenge. That at some point this week, you will find one day, one day in the week, to write down an accounting of your hours. Nobody's going to see it. There's no judgment. This is you and Jesus, and we already know Jesus loves you, so it's fine, right? Take an accounting of your hours, because I did this this week, and I was surprised by the number of things I was cramming into a day. Because I still go to bed at night worried about the things I didn't get done. Amen? Yeah. Take an accounting of your hours and see what it teaches you about how your time and your preoccupation are spent. If you want to, bring it with you as we talk about how to focus down next week. But when you get to the end of that accounting, give it a blessing. Say, thank you, God, for all I have been able to do. Thank you, God, for all I have left undone. And thank you most of all for the sure knowledge that I am loved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.